Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of life and another day at camp meeting. Please be with each of us. Please be with our families. Please be with our children, our husbands, and our wives. And we just want to pray that you will open our hearts to you, that our hearts will be warm to receive what you have to say today through Casey. Please be with Casey and be with her words, and may we all represent you in a beautiful way. We thank you and we love you so much. In your precious and holy name, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for taking the time to come out. I know this is a probably a very painful subject for many of you. Um, if you're married to somebody who's not attending church or somebody who has no interest in spiritual things, all the way up to somebody who maybe attends but isn't involved in the church. That's what we call a spiritual mismatch. It's not really, uh, your spouse's commitment is not really the same as your commitment. And I am married to someone who is like that. He was the Adventist of the family. And I'll tell you a little bit more about my own um, testimony a little bit as we go through the seminar. But I just want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to leave here uh, feeling down feeling uh, scared or hopeless because the situation that you find yourself in. And many times we may be married, we may have married in uh, what we thought was a good marriage, a Christian marriage where both of you would be serving the Lord at the same uh, pace and in the same way, and it doesn't necessarily work out that way. But I want you to know that God is with you and that he will help you. He will get you through this and he will make it be a blessing in your life. So that's what I want you to leave with. That's what we're going to start with and that's what I want you to leave with. So we're going to get uh, right into it. Marriage relationships are complex. Um, Two people coming together in a marriage uh, with their own ideas, their own thoughts, the way that they were raised, everything that's happened to you in your life is very complex. And when you take two people and put them together, it makes it even more complex. So marriage is difficult. Um, the principles that we'll be talking about today are, apply across the board in marriage. So they're biblical principles, so of course they're going to apply to all of us. Hopefully, as we get talking about it a little bit, you'll see how it applies especially to you, especially in your situation. Um, I have seen in my marriage and through this process the most graphic representation of God's love and his redeeming love and his ability to love the unlovable in my marriage. Um, and I've come to the place after several years. Bill and I were married in 1993. And so that's been, what, 20 some odd years? Five, four? <laughs> Something like that. And I finally come to the place where I love my husband. I feel like it's unconditional. I hope he feels the same. Um, but you can do that, and you can get to that point, and that is the love of God that we need to have, and that's the love that the Bible talks about. So hopefully we'll explore that a little bit as we go through. So I do want to just pray one more time just for the Lord to speak, because I don't want you to, I want to share with you my personal situation, but I want you to see God in, in your personal situation, okay? So I want him to make sure that, uh, that he is speaking to you. So I want to ask him to do that just now. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you that you have uh, seen me through this situation and that uh, you've given me wisdom in your word to help me overcome. And Lord, I pray that my experience um, would be used by you, for you, 
and then it would help these people that have, that have come today, that have taken the time out of their busy day and their schedule and all of the opportunities and seminars that they've had to choose from because their hearts are hurting and they want to know what you would have them to do. So I pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our first slide is, that's Lucy. She's um, a psychiatrist, and her help is five cents. My help here is two cents. So if you need more than my two cents, I am not a professional. I have no training in this. I am just a layperson, an individual who's been through the situation. So if you are involved in relationships that involve abuse, addictions, or adultery, my counsel to you would be to find a professional Christian counselor. Uh, That is not me. Um, And if you need more than my two cents, we have some resources on the Women's Ministries page on the MISDA website for you. We have a list of Christian counselors that you can look through and find one in your area. So that would be my counsel. And also, Jesus has paid his life for you, for your life, for your redemption, for your wholeness. And I think we need to do everything we can to cooperate with him in building our, ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, back to that whole person that he wants us to be. And a Christian counselor can help you in those situations. All right. So have you ever seen this before? Can two walk together except they be agreed? It's pretty popular uh, verse. I mean, it's in the Bible, and, and we've all pr- probably heard it before. I used to hear this verse and feel very discouraged because I felt like my marriage was doomed, and I didn't have any hope. And so I felt my husband, if we couldn't agree, that we couldn't be loving to each other. We couldn't uh, have a good commitment. Um, our children would be unhappy. I was doomed to unfulfilled marriage. But, and it was very discouraging. But then you read this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even walk in an, a mismatched marriage. You can do it. God can help you. So if we don't share the same spiritual commitment with our spouse, take heart because you can do it. Christ will be with you. And God requires us to love those who are unlovable. Um, He has given his life and he has loved the unlovable. We're really unlovable people. I mean, when you really start looking deep into your own heart, you can kind of see how unlovable we really are. We do things that hurt other people. We say things we you know, are selfish, and when we start realizing that, you start seeing how loving Jesus really is to love somebody like us, right? Um, So now we're going to talk about spiritually mismatched. What does that mean? Unequally yoked, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? Well, tell me, what communion does light have with darkness? If you were to think of Jesus... In his life here on this earth, what did he do? He was light, right? And he came down here into this darkness and fellowshiped with it. I'm not saying that this verse is wrong because we should be very careful about the people that we connect ourselves with. We should be very careful to uh, choose those who you know love Jesus and love God and are committed to serving him. But somewhere through time and in your relationship, you've gotten to the place where your husband or, or wife is not serving the Lord or not as you would wish them to. So it's okay to feel a little discouraged, but also to know that Jesus has overcome this for us, and he can help you do that. So what does it mean to yoke something together? If you look at our little picture up there of the little uh, oxen, what is that thing in between them? 
That's the yoke, right? And they're kind of, no, one can't go forward without the, pulling the other or dragging the other one with them. So what happens if one of those oxen was stronger than the other, what would happen to the field? How would, they, how would that field get plowed? One would pull the other and it'd go what? Around in circles, right? And that's kind of how we're feeling in our marriage. We're just going around in a circle. One, the strong one's pulling the weak one, and we just keep going around the same problems over and over again, and we never get any solutions. So how can this be avoided? And um, let's see, Matthew 11.29 says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We need the three-person yoke. Have you ever seen anything like that where the other one leads, there's one strong in the front and two in the back, so it's more like a team? We need to yoke up with Christ, and then he can help us, both of us, go at the same pace. Our problem is, is that we as Christians and we as the strong one in our relationship want to lead and take, and we think that we're doing what Jesus would want us to do, but in all reality, we need to have that three-person yoke and have Christ leading at the pace that both of you can go at the same time. So that's what we need to do. We're supposed to be yoked to Christ. Well, this isn't my story. This is my husband, Bill, and our two kids. And our kids are grown now. Uh, the little guy, Caleb, is now 14 and taller than both of us. So it's kind of an old picture, but this is our story. Um, Bill and I met when I was 18, and uh, I had been through... A lot of abuse in my family. My dad left when I was four. The last memory I have of my dad, he was holding a shotgun to my mom's head. And then he was drunk and took all of the, our money and left, and I never saw him again. Uh, that was four years old, and so it progressed through there. My mom's been married three times, um, always abusive and uh, destructive, dysfunctional relationships. And I grew up uh, without Christianity. None, nobody in my family was a Christian. And so when I graduated high school, I was kind of a mess, <laughs> putting it mildly. The Lord has done wonderful things for me. But I met Bill when I was 18 um, at a party. We were there, and it was through a family friend. And his family, uh, after we met and started dating, uh, was Adventist, although he was not practicing. Um, his dad died when he was 12, and he has a brother and a sister, and then a year into our dating uh, relationship, his sister was murdered. She was stabbed 12 times at her job, and it's unsolved to this day. There's no one ever been arrested. So he's been through a lot. His dad passed away, then his sister passed away, and then four years ago, his mother passed away from breast cancer, and 11 months after that, his brother died from uh, necrotizing fasciitis, which is that flesh-eating bacteria, and um, nine days he was gone. So he's been through a lot. We've been through a lot together. Um, one day I was out walking with my friend Kimberly, and we were just kind of just taking a stroll, and she twisted her ankle in a little pothole. And as I bent down to help her up, I heard the Lord say to me, this is what I want you to do for your husband, because I had to help her home. And it was very slow and very tedious and very, um, to me, kind of an um, inconvenience. But I heard the Lord tell me, this is what I want you to do for your husband. You know, our spouses have been through so much. If you know your spouse really well, and I'm assuming that you do, you know what they've been through in their childhood. You know the uh, struggles that they have with sin. You know the problems that they have with family. Uh, whatever the issues may be, you are the one, the closest one, who knows everything that that person has been through. And maybe they're, they've hurt themselves and they can't get up. 
Maybe they're just wallowing there in that little puddle, that pothole, and they just they need somebody to help them. And so I was uh, worked for the conference, involved in church work. I was gone all the time doing things for friends and, and family and strangers and uh, realized that, you know, I had kind of left my husband back there in that, that ditch. So the Lord was telling me that that's what I needed to do. He may be telling you something completely different. Maybe you've been wallowing in that pothole with him or her. And maybe it's time to get up and move, both of you. Um, or if one's not willing to get up, maybe it's time for you to kind of move on and let Lord, the Lord handle that situation. And I'm not saying divorce. Please don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is spiritually to get moving. So um, your situation, please take what I am telling you and apply it as you see fit and as the Lord is moving you. But that's what he told me is I needed to help. So what I was experiencing, though, at that time was a lot of loneliness. When your spouse is not in church and you sit there in the pew by yourself and you, get, and you see all the other people with their spouses and their families and it's just such a beautiful thing, it's very lonely. And people don't know what to say and they don't know how to approach you or your spouse. Sometimes if they do come, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, uh, they feel some, some things that, is, that are difficult. So I was lonely, um, bitter, because I wanted my husband to be the spiritual leader of the family. Um, that's what, what my expectation for my marriage was. Um, I had a loss of respect and love for him because he wasn't what I expected him to be. Um, I had the burden of being the spiritual leader in our home and raising our children. I had disagreements. Uh, we had disagreements about our older son, Jake, played football, and um, he played football on Friday nights, and so we had a lot of disagreements about that that left me discouraged. Um, or home rules. Sometimes you can feel criticized or ostracized by your husband in the church. You can feel envy or jealousy over other marriage or relationships. You can feel unloved or unappreciated or misunderstood. You can distrust your husband's decisions because they're, you feel like they don't make the right ones. So there's a lot of distrust that comes in. Feelings of inadequacy or frustration, a feeling of never being able to convert your spouse or make him respect your beliefs. That's a difficult one because we're always, our efforts are always um, good. We're trying to convert them, trying to get them to love Jesus as much as we do, um, but it can be very frustrating. You fear his influence on your children and their choices, and you can even come to the place where you blame your unsaved spouse for the mistakes of your children. And that's a dangerous place to be and a very hard place to be because the two of you, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, need to be a team. And it's hard to do that if you're blaming him for every mistake that your children make or her. Uh, you need somebody to talk to. Nobody understands or cares or really, if they're not in that situation, they don't really get the frustration of it and the daily, um, the daily difficulties that you have to endure or talk or um, that come your way, you fear your spouse will be lost. And ultimately, this is what drives, I think, the heart, is that you want your spouse to be saved. You want them to go to heaven. You want, them to, you want to be a family. And so all of these fears and all of these things that we do are driven because we want our spouses to be in heaven with us. So sometimes if we feel that way, we can become manipulative. Um, there's a lot of different ways to manipulate situations, and we can figure those out pretty quick. I think from childhood, we can figure out how to 
make things happen and get our own way. So we will do that in our marriages. And we can also set our husband or our wife up to fail. We can say, well, all right, go ahead and do that. And then it doesn't turn out right. And you're like, well, I told you so. So that's manipulative as well. So we don't want to do that. But that's what you may experience in these situations. Well, now we're going to talk a little bit about what God's will is, because if we're in this situation, what does God want? What does he expect us to do? What does he want that is best for us, that will give us the best result? So if you're married, remaining married is God's best will for you, and it is, it is the best possible option for God to work for the redemption of your spouse. And there's a scripture that was so powerful to me, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 16, it says, if anyone has a spouse who is not a believer... Is that anyone here? Maybe they're a believer, but they're a little baby believer. They're not really a grown-up one yet. So if you have that in your life and you're willing to live together, do not divorce. Again, let me just put a caveat out there. If you're in abusive, addictive, or adulterous situations, please get counseling, okay? Um, for the unbelieving spouse, that is your spouse, is sanctified by the believing spouse, for now your children are holy. Do you know that your children are holy? Do you think this is saying that one spouse is a believer, but your children are holy? Your house is set apart and sanctified. It says, for now your children are holy, but if an unbeliever leaves, let them do so. A believer is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife or husband, whether you will save your spouse? How do you know? This is the best will of God for your life right now, is to stay married and to figure out what God wants you to do to try and help your spouse to be saved. So the scriptures say this, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of us should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Are our spouses excluded from this counsel? <clears throat> do we treat our unbelieving spouse as better or more important than ourselves? Not very often, at least in my experience. For a long time, I didn't. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to each other with mutual affection. Excel at showing respect for each other. What does it mean to excel at showing respect? How do you excel at something? Strive diligently. Yep. If you're an athlete, how do you excel at your sport? Practice continuously till it hurts, pretty much. That's what the Bible's telling us to do. Excel at showing respect for each other. Think about it. Be intentional about it. Practice it. Do your best. Mark 10, 9 says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I want to say that oftentimes in spiritually mismatched marriages, it's not necessarily an outside force that causes the separation. It's usually one of us. Because in my situation, I remember... Probably, I mean, Bill has been through probably everything that you can go through, me pushing him away, trying to dissolve our marriage because I just didn't want to be in it anymore. And it was me that was doing that. I was the one that was trying to separate that marriage by causing him such distress and anger so that he would leave. Then it would be his fault instead of my fault. So we can do that to our marriages as well. And we need to uh, take counsel. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, that's including us, separate that. So fast forward 15 years, this is our family. Um, in two, it was about the year oh, 97, 98, Bill and I got back together. We were going to divorce. We got back together and um, our family has been growing ever since. We've kind of decided, you know, divorce is not an option. 
And the Lord has been working on me ever since then. And so it's been a long haul to come to this point to actually be able to share with you because Bill's still not in church. Um, he comes occasionally and uh, he respects my job and my church and my friends and uh, all of that, but he still doesn't attend. He's not committed. Um, so it's not a victory as someone would see, you know, the Lord has completely changed that, but he has completely changed it. He's completely changed me and our relationship to each other. And we are happy. I mean, you can love somebody who's not in church. You can love somebody who doesn't love God the way you do. And you can respect that person. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, but you can do it. <clears throat> so as I was preparing this, I did this two years ago for a women's retreat for one of our seminars. Um, I went home and I asked my husband, I said, well, you know, I've been asked to present something like this. And I said, what do you think about it? And he said, well, yeah, that's fine. He said, but let me tell you my side of the story. So you're going to hear his side of the story. There's always two sides to every story. So this is his side of the story. And I know that's really small. I hope you can read it. Okay. He had a lot to say, apparently. <laughs> so he's not a DIY project or a jewel in our crown. When we would go to church, he would hear that, you know, everyone that you save or you help or you, you know, you're working with or whatever is a nice little jewel in your crown. And that would irritate him because he's not a jewel in my crown. He's my husband. So he wants acceptance for who he is as a human being, as someone that I loved enough to marry. We're not his savior. It's not up to us to convert him. It's the Holy Spirit and God's job to do that. It's just simply our job to love them. And I want to put a caveat in this because I listened to Pastor Wes's sermon yesterday morning and he was talking about loving someone without correcting someone um, or accepting a sin in someone's life. And that's not what this is talking about. There are many times when Bill and I um, are talking about a situation or he wants to do something or we disagree where I have to say, I don't agree with that. But you can do that in love and with respect. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, but without accepting it, but still loving that person and saying, you know what, you're, you're an individual, you have your own decisions, and you are accountable to God for that. And so if that's what you want to do, then I accept that. That's, I can't stop you, but this is my counsel. And that's all you can do. So I want to just make that caveat. I'm not saying to go home and love your spouse and let them just do whatever they want. I mean, they will anyway. But I'm just saying you need to put in a little bit of um, counsel tactfully and lovingly and just let them know, you know, that's not the best thing for you. You're a better person than that. I don't see that that's going to help you. However you have to say it to make them know that you love them, but that you're trying to encourage a better behavior. Sometimes we feel his conversion is for our own ease to make our lives easier and not out of our love for him. He loves his family or uh, uh, wife or husband. Uh, no matter how often he or she does or doesn't attend church, they love you. They wouldn't have married you if they didn't love you. Uh, feel his responsibility for his family as head of the house. His burden can be lightened or made heavier by the spouse or the family. And Bill said it hurts him, and I didn't realize this. I always thought as a mother and as the wife, you just make the decisions that need to be made. And pretty much, you know, he didn't have a problem with that. But he didn't like it when I didn't talk to him about it so that he knew what was going on in the family. So he said his, his advice or decisions are disregarded. He's not consulted, but would often defer decisions with home and children to me if he trusts trust me or you and knows that you will not hurt him. He just wants to know what's going on in his home, to be informed. 
He wants to know, you know, why are the children doing this? Or why are you going there? Or what's happening? Or, you know, what, is there anything that I need to know to be informed about? It's very important for a husband to know. They don't always have to make all of the decisions. Oftentimes, like he said, they'll defer them to you. If you think that's best for the kids, then go for it. Um, but they just want to know what's happening. He feels judged, criticized, or disrespected, and that's why he had a hard time going to church. He feels his faults have been discussed among the members by the wife or husband seeking support from the church family. There's no privacy between the two of you. It's, a, it's one thing to go to your church and tell your friend, you know, I'm having difficulties or trouble um, privately to a special friend that you trust and that you know will keep your confidence. It's another thing to go to prayer meeting and spill your whole family problems and everything that's happening and what your spouse did to you yesterday and what he said to you this morning, and that's not helpful. So he, he's, he was concerned about there's no privacy between the two of you. He's hurt by sarcasm. I have a very sarcastic humor and um, comeback, and so I've really had to work on that over the years to temper that down because sarcasm is very hurtful. It can cut people to the quick. So be careful with sarcasm. Don't play the martyr like you're sacrificing or suffering for God instead of enjoying your marriage. Bill would always say, you're just doing it for God. You don't really care, you know. That's not helpful in your marriage as well. So don't sacrifice or suffer. Play the martyr like, I'm just going to do this, and this is my burden, and this is the cross I need to bear. Um, it doesn't help your spouse feel like you love him. Don't focus on what he's doing wrong. Instead, praise him for what he does right. Speak well of him, especially in front of others. Very important. I remember one time um, I was at, we were at a friend's house and we were, they invited us over for a meal and it was, the meal was over and it was time for dessert. And um, I had had a lot of sugar that day. I'm not going to lie. And so when they brought dessert out, my friend Kimberly said, would you like a piece of pie? And I said, you know, I'm going to pass this time. And Bill said, what? You never pass up pie. And I was like, oh, that kind of hurt, you know. And so instead of coming back and being upset with him, I said, you know what? Is everything okay? You, you don't normally talk to me that way. Whether or not they talk to you that way, if you say that in public and make them feel like they're a better person than that, and then people see that, no, I don't normally talk to, to you that way, it helps to build that respect and that love and that trust because you're saying, you're normally a nice person. Something must be wrong right now for you to say that. Even though you're hurting, you're letting them know, ow, that really hurt, but, you know, you're a better person than that. So there's tactful ways to say things, and that was one experience. And it was just as I was learning all of this stuff. And it works. So it just works. So he can feel loneliness too. All our energy is given to others in the church how many times have you made this wonderful meal to take to potluck and, and then you go to church and your husband's home with no food on Sabbath? Instead of making the cookies for the church and giving a few to your husband, make the cookies for your husband and give a few to the church. They're important. They need to feel like they're important. It's not that you can't help out the church. It's not that you should stop your church work. It's that within that work, put your husband or your wife first, the spouse first. And let them know that that's what you're doing. I've, I've been thinking about you, and I've wanted to make you some cookies. And while I was making you some cookies, I thought I would make some for potluck or whatever. So they know that they're your priority. Um, he fears, or he or she fears divorce or isolation, being alone. God didn't make us to be alone. He made us to be together with a spouse. 
and to have that unity and that cohesiveness. And so if you don't have that, it feels like you're alone and you get isolated and you just, it's very hard and lonely. He feels unappreciated or unsupported and unloved many times. Feels like he's not a priority in the time, your time, attention, affection, or finances. He feels jealousy or envy over our relationship with Christ. My husband put it in a way that says it's almost like you have another man. For a husband, it might be, you know, the wife might feel like she has, he has another wife, somebody that's more important to him or her. So um, be careful with that. Christ isn't another man. You can, you can make it so that he understands that um, he is God to you and that there's a big, important difference between that. Yeah. He is our spouse. Yeah, and he should. Yeah. But the difference is he's God. He's not another man. He's not, he doesn't have to feel jealousy over that. It's a responsibility that you have to God first. Yeah. You want to make sure that that is a good question. You want to make sure that God is. And God is our spouse. If we're not married, he's our spouse. If we're married, he's our, he's our God. He's our leader. He's the one that is um, telling us what we need to do and, and taking us to his word and showing us Absolutely. And we can't do all this without him. We can't. We can't. There's no way in our humanity that we can do these things without Jesus in our hearts. So you have to have that. It's very important. Good point. Thank you. Um, He needs us to help him find constructive ways to cope with his emotions. My husband has a lot of coping mechanisms from everything that's happened to him in the past that are, I feel, are destructive and unhelpful. Um, But on the other hand, he needs me to help him find constructive ways to cope. So what we've come up with is laughing. He's a big jokester, so we make jokes and we have just certain things that we say about things and it, it lightens the situation. We talk, we walk, we go in nature, and he likes a recreational partner. He likes to golf. I don't. I'm still not very good. But, you know, I'll drive the cart or do whatever, you know carry the clubs or whatever. So, you know, they need us to find good ways to cope with things, um, ways that would please Jesus and ways that help us uh, get back into that, that mode of, okay, I can deal with whatever is happening and I don't need to go back to those destructive ways to do it. So he wants help with that. He loves you. He just doesn't know how to show it all the time. It would crush him and make him feel like a failure if you left him. You are one flesh, supernaturally uh, part of him or her, and your absence causes them pain. Being away from your spouse causes pain. And I think that, you know, we could just be reading the newspaper in the same room and it makes them feel better. We don't really have to even talk. We don't have to discuss any, you know, um, political or anything, any, whatever is going on in the world. We could just be in the same room. And I think that that's super important. Um, you bring joy, you bring goodness, happiness, joy, and light to his world. This world and he told me this, crushes men. It substitutes a false manhood for the biblical model. The biblical model of a man is someone who leads his family, who is strong, who is dependable, hardworking, the the kinds of things that we don't see much of anymore. And it substitutes a picture of a man in a sexual manner that is unacceptable to God. That's what the, the world is substituting for what a real man really is. Or woman, a woman is pure, a woman is, um, you know, loving, kind, caring, gentle, those types of things. And that's not what the biblical 
uh, or the worldly model of a woman is these days. So it's a sub there's a substitution going on, and we need to help them um, understand what their role is. We can bring out the boy or the king hero in our spouse, and it's all in how we treat them. He depends on you and needs you more than he would like for you to know, and it's hard to admit even to himself that you are his helper and he can't do life without you. We need each other. That's how God made it. You know, I keep thinking of Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and the tempter came to Eve and, and said, you know, look at this beautiful fruit and I think, you know, you'll be wise and you'll, you'll know good from evil. And if she would have just said, you know, I think I'm going to go back to Adam and talk to him about that and see what he thinks. This world would be in a completely different situation. I hope. Maybe Adam would have still gone the same way. I don't know. But sometimes we like to make these decisions on our own without going, you know, the Lord gave me someone to bounce this off of, to talk to about, to just see what his opinion is or if his connection that moment was stronger with the Lord than hers, um, to help her with that. So we need, they, we need each other. They need you. You need them. So those were my husband's uh, thoughts on the matter. This is what the church, uh, how the church pressures these types of marriages, spiritual mismatch marriages. So there's a pressure on the spouse to be baptized, to attend regularly, to take a position or be there every time the doors are open, or to respond to an altar call. I can't tell you how many times my husband sat during an altar call and felt so uncomfortable. And that's okay, because the Holy Spirit should make you uncomfortable. But I think sometimes in small churches, when, when the pastor sees that your spouse is there, they just are going to hammer that, you know, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision, instead of just letting that person hear the sermon, let the Holy Spirit do the work, and then personally go to that person and say, you know, are you ready? Would you like to study? What's going on? Can I help you? Whatever. Um, Bill is more of an individual, uh, private, very private individual, and altar calls he will not respond to. So, mm-hmm. They could be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they could be. And that happens too. I mean, how many times I've sat and I've thought, oh, I just wish someone would come and knock on our door and talk with my husband, you know, and just see what he's feeling today or how they could help or, you know, even just take him out for a round of golf or something. So you're right, they can feel uh, a little isolated. So they feel pressure in the church. Um, a lot of times the members can blame guilt or shame one spouse or the other or give advice like, oh, if I were in your situation, I'd do X, Y, Z, or you should do X, Y, Z. They love people. We love to give advice to people. And sometimes we have to be really careful that um, it doesn't affect negatively the situation that people find themselves in. Always pray, always encourage, always uplift uh, people that are struggling in these situations. Um, but unless they ask you for it, advice probably isn't the best thing to be giving. Lack of inclusiveness. The, uh, there's exclusive classes for married people, uh, exclusive classes for singles. There's not really a class for the mismatched marriage um, people. So there's exclusiveness. Separation from regular married members. A lot of times if you have uh, a spouse or a wife that is in church all the time, um, I've had this happen. People can think that you're on the prowl or you're unhappy, and so you're looking for someone else. And so people won't talk to you or uh, invite you over to their home for lunch or whatever the case may be because they feel unsafe with you. And so it's very important for people to understand that you're not unhappy in your marriage and looking for a way out, that you love your spouse 
and that you're committed to your spouse, but that you still want to be part of the church membership. So you may feel that. Some see you as a threat, what I just talked about, unfaithful, easily tempted, whatever the case may be. Um, Acts like there's something wrong with your spouse if they're not in church. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, what's your spouse doing, working today? Like there's something wrong with them or they're committing some sort of sin uh, that they're not in church. No, he just didn't want to come. <laughs> he just didn't want to come. I mean, you know, what, I don't, do I have to make an excuse for him every time I walk through the church doors? No, we don't. We can just say, you know what? I would really appreciate your prayers. Appreciate your prayers for my husband. Reach out to him, send him a card, whatever. That would be wonderful. So uh, they act like something's wrong with your spouse. Asking where they are, what they're doing. Uh, and then the next one is acts like there's nothing wrong. There's something wrong if you appear happy and joyful. Uh, when I very first started working here, I'm not blaming anyone in this conference. I love this conference. I love my job. And everyone I have met and interacted with in this conference has a heart for God, and I know that. But one person, I was laughing and joking at camp meeting nine years ago, um, and someone said, you don't even act like you're married. You're too happy. <laughs> like, you're, like your husband's not here, you know? And I'm like... I'm okay, so I'm supposed to walk around with a sad face because my husband doesn't come to church? Okay, well, I'm not going to do that, first of all. (laughs) I think happiness is um, wonderful. And I, you know what? I ran around so many years unhappy with so much pain and so much weight and so much guilt and so much shame that when Jesus sets you free, you can't help but be happy. You can't help it. So be happy. I don't care what anybody says. Be happy. You're not sad enough, though. You must not love or care about your spouse is what they're saying to you. But you do, and you can be happy. So airing of private situations and prayer services or meetings, what we talked about before, be careful about that. Um, The people of the church don't need to know every intricate, intimate detail of your marriage. They just need to know that you love your spouse and you're praying for them and you would appreciate their prayers as well. Find one good confidant, somebody that you can talk to that um, can help you but that will keep your situation private or someone trained in that so that they can help you. We often gossip in the form of prayer requests. Um, Oh, please pray for John Smith and his wife, you know, his, his wife isn't coming to church anymore and she's doing XYZ and that's not helpful. That's gossip. So we need to be careful about that. And God's ideal plan, I better switch my notes, I'm way, be, way behind, here we go. God's ideal plan is a marriage ground. It's a, a marriage is a training ground on what real love really is and how to love somebody. We can't truly express love if there's nobody to love. Can you really love somebody if there's nobody there? I used to dance around my house and clean and, and cook and put the you know, spiritual music on and I was happy and joyful and as soon as my husband walked in the door, ugh. Right? We can be great when there's nobody around loving and happy and just the best. And then as soon as somebody comes in that's hard to love, you're like, ugh. That's not what we have to be careful of. We can't truly express love if there's nobody to love or if it's easy to love. Because real love is sacrificial. Look at Jesus. His love was sacrificial. He gave all to us. He gave everything to us. And he did it with people that didn't want it, that didn't appreciate it, that didn't know what he was doing, that didn't accept it. 
So real love is sacrificial. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are unity. They're a family. They're all one, and they sacrifice for each other. And to me, this is the biggest point on uh, the Godhead because real love can't exist without something to love. So the Godhead is three persons so that they can show what real love really is. And without that, it just doesn't make sense. That sacrificial love doesn't make sense. So an example of God's relationship with us is intimate, it's personal, it's committed, and it's redemptive. That's what God wants with us. Our relationship with him is intimate, it's personal, it's committed, and it's redemptive. It's an example of an organization or authority. Heaven has a system, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and earth has a system, husband, wife, and children. It's in order. It's, a, it's completely organized. It requires death to self, death to the flesh, and life in the spirit. Choosing the will of God over our own, and our relationship is binding. It's a covenant, and that's God's ideal plan for marriage. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. So now that we've looked at that, let's go to characteristics of a healthy relationship. Uh, these are some things that that our relationships should have in them if they're going to be healthy. Some areas may be uh, better than others. Some may, may need more work than others. But these are the things that make a healthy relationship. Love, respect and honor, submission, which is a dirty word in today's society. We're going to talk about that. Or simply trust. That's what submission really is, is trust. Fruit and action, honesty, forgiveness, and influence. So love is first. Love has uh, many meanings these days and many um, nuances. And mostly it means in today's society that you just give everybody a license to do whatever they want. That's not true love. Love is a state of perfect caring. It's an active noun-like struggle. How many of you struggle to love? I do. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here and now, not to accept their wrong behaviors, but to try to get them to a better place. That's what real love is, and it's sacrificial. First Corinthians talks about love. It says uh, in First Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongue of angel, men or angels, and I want to just add my spouse in here as we read it, but do not have love for my spouse... I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love for my spouse, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love for my spouse, I gain nothing. Love for my spouse is patient. Love for my spouse is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love for my spouse does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love for my spouse does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love for my spouse never fails. Doesn't, isn't that powerful? So powerful. God's love can do all things. It can change situations. It can make it better. Titus 2.4, it says, urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. Sounds to me like there was a problem with that in Bible times. <laughs> and I think there's a problem with that today. Um, so we need to urge women and men to love their husbands and their wives and their children. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if we need more of that, we know where we can go to get that, right? We can go to God and get that. So how are we doing, um, comparing ourselves to this verse, how are we doing loving our spouses? can be kind of challenging, can't it? Not doing so good when I think about it. (laughs) So we have some work to do. Is our love selfish or is it sacrificial? These are just questions to ask yourself how you're doing. Does it meet this standard? If we need more love, we need more God, right? The only way we can hope to have this love is to be so connected to Christ that his love flows through us. We can't manufacture it. It's a gift, but it is a gift that God is freely willing to give us. Okay, we're going to move on to respect and honor. So the Lord has, you have asked God to give you that love that we need in our hearts. And once we have that, then we can move on to that respect and honor. The definition of respect is to esteem or defer to. So there's two different parts, and I didn't really realize that. Respect means esteem. Sometimes when your spouse is not in church or they're actively acting against uh, the gospel, that esteem can suffer, uh, that respect. But there's another part to it. It's to defer to. And that's the part that's hard for some women to do, especially. Um, men seem to have a better, a better um, grasp on deferring to their wives. And I've heard the saying, and it kind of uh, annoys me a little bit, is that when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah, it's to me that's, uh, I don't know, I have a tough time with that. Um, when I hear that kind of stuff, I'm just like, you know, we should both be happy. <laughs> Everyone should be happy. Um, so I have a hard time with that. So be careful when you say things like that, because what you're really saying is it's my way. I don't have respect for you, and what you, what you think and what you have decided, uh, I'm not even going to consider that. So um, be careful when you say things like that because it can put a negative connotation to your husband or your spouse. So respect means to defer to. Ephesians 5.33 says the wife must respect her husband. Is there any wiggle room in that? Doesn't sound like it, does it? There's not a lot of wiggle room in there. The wife must respect her husband. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. What it's saying here is that there's a system of authority. God the Father, Jesus, then the man, then the woman. Now, I work for Jane Harris. She is my boss. I respect her. I esteem her first of all, because she's a wonderful person, but I also defer to her because she's an authority over me. She has authority over her. She answers to people above her, and those people answer to people above her, and et cetera, and so on, right? So there's a system of authority, and the word respect means that you submit yourself, that you trust in that authority. You may not always agree with the the way that people are doing things or your spouse is making decisions, but because of the system of authority that God has created and placed, that is what we need to do, is to submit ourselves to it. It's a hard thing to do, but the way that you get it back, and this is biblical, and we're going to talk about this in the next slide, is to do it anyway. And when you do it and you give it, somehow it creates something in that person, and then it'll come back to you. It'll come back to you, and it'll... 
I don't know, that's a God thing. I don't know how that works. <laughs> All I know is that when you do what the Bible says and you actively um, participate and cooperate with God, that he creates new situations. He makes new life out of things that you thought were dead. Maybe you, don't, you can't esteem or respect your husband, but I think that when you look back at the person that you married and everything they've been through and all of the challenges that they've had, that you can come to the point where you're like, you know, I kind of understand why you're acting the way you are. I kind of understand and can empathize with your pain. And when you get to that point, don't you want to feel like that? Like someone could say that to you? That, yeah, okay, I get it. It may not always be right, and it may not always be helpful. It may actually hurt me, but I understand what you're going through. That's what we all want, isn't it? I think so. So when you give it, it actually creates it, and it come back, comes back to you in love. And that's kind of the way that, uh, that God made it. But he's saying the wife must respect her husband. You don't have to agree all the time, but you have to defer to them because of the position that they hold. Obedience? Yep, and I was going to talk about that, but I took the slide out. So I'm glad you asked, because I feel like the Lord wants me to say something about that. In Numbers 30, there is a passage, and it's kind of a big passage, and that's why I took it out. It takes up a lot of time. The Lord talks about if a wife makes a vow and the husband honors that vow, um, or the husband doesn't stop her from making it, say it's a bad choice or something, and the husband doesn't stop her from doing that, that he's responsible, that, that he's responsible. Who did God come looking for in the garden when Eve made the... He didn't ask for Eve, did he? No. He said, "Where's your? what's going on over here? Where's your wife? What's, what happened? Right? So when we, when we understand that principle, and then we can trust and respect our husband. We can give him the details of a situation. Say, hey, you know, this guy came to me in the tree, and he said, you know, this apple's going to be great, whatever. Um, but I want to know what you think. You give that, your husband an opportunity to make the right decision, right? But if he doesn't, Who's held to account? Adam is. And if Adam is going to be, if your husband is going to be held to account before the Lord, don't you want to try to influence him to do the right thing? Don't you want to try to talk to him and say, you know, hey, I really don't think this is going to be the best decision. This isn't good for us. This isn't what the Bible says. But if they make that decision, who's responsible? He is. But what if you say, what if he says, nope, I'm going to go to the bar Friday night or whatever, I'm going to let my kid go, whatever the situation may be, and you don't say anything and you don't try to help him, he's still responsible, but so are you. So you need to weigh those things. Like, you know, if there's something that should be said, and you can say it in a kind, gentle, uh, loving way, um, but you need to be responsible. And that's what Pastor West was saying. We can't just let people just do whatever they want without trying to say something. And we're going to talk about influence, um, how to influence those decisions a little bit, in a, just a little bit. Did you have a question? Yeah, if someone's not in the Lord, you really can't stop someone from doing what they want to do. I mean, even if they are. We don't control other people. The only thing that we can control is ourselves. So, but, but sometimes we do have to say things. You know, if, if your wife is out spending, you know, every dime of your paycheck every week and your mortgage isn't paid, and you're going to get kicked out of your house, do you accept that choice? Or do you say, hey, you know, this isn't working. We need to make some changes here. And then have some boundaries and have some plans set in place or whatever the case may be. It's not, a, it's not uh, unloving to have um, to voice your opinion in your situations, in your marriage. 
You know, you don't have to argue over it. You don't have to fight over it. You can just say, from now on, I am, I don't know, I'm not going to bring my check home. I'm going to do it myself or whatever. And if it causes friction, then that's, you know, the Lord can help you with that. But some, I remember one time, and this is just a quick example. Bill and I were in the midst of getting a divorce, and um, I was in the bathroom, and I was getting ready to go. I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. So I was getting ready to go out of the house, and he, we were arguing, and and. I ended up kicking something in the bathroom and cut my leg. And I said, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. That's what we all want, is to just be happy. And he, go, and he said to me, if you want to be happy and you think that you want to go, I'll let you go because I want you to be happy too. And when he said that, it changed my heart. He wanted me to be happy to his detriment. He was ready to give that up. And if your spouse loves you, if you love somebody, sometimes letting them go and just saying, you know what, I love you, but if that's what's going to make you happy, then that's fine. You know, and a lot of times they'll come back and they'll say, thank you for loving me that way. Now, I don't know how that applies, and it doesn't apply to all situations, doesn't apply to everyone, but the Holy Spirit will guide you, and I know that he will teach you and help you. So anyway, back to this, um, respect. Submission and obedience, and that's what you were talking about, is the obedience factor. True meaning of submission is this, action or fact of accepting or yielding the will or authority to another person. Can we have a relationship with Jesus if we don't submit to him? That's the first step in our relationship with Christ, isn't it? It's saying, okay, I give up control of my life, and I'm going to let you take over. Well, it's the first step in marriage, too. Submitting, acting, uh, of accepting and yielding your will to the authority of another person. Your husband, because of the way that God created us, is the authority over us, over you. Um, that's the way that he created it. I, you can ask him when you get to heaven why he did that. I don't know. But I'm just saying that's the way he made it. And so that's what we have to do. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why are we submitting? Correct. Reverence for Christ. To submit means to follow. Do we follow Jesus? To allow another to take initiative. Does Jesus lead us? We don't. Often I hear in prayers, um, Lord, go with me. No. I'm following him. He's not coming along wherever I want to go. So we're following Jesus. To defer final decision making. I remember one time uh, I wanted to buy this. My brother and his wife got out of the army and I wanted to buy this Kirby vacuum. And they're like $2,000. I mean, they're super expensive vacuums. And they were selling them, and I wanted to help them and whatever. So they come home and, and do the presentation, and I said, I really want this vacuum. And I talked to Bill, and he's like, no. And at the time, they were living with us, and they had just gotten out of the service, and they had a dog, and uh, we were buying their food and everything. And um, I was really upset. I wanted this vacuum. And I thought it was really rude of him not to support my brother and his wife. So anyway, a little later, a few days later, after I didn't talk to him for a while, I, uh, I said, why didn't you want to get that vacuum? And he goes, they're living with us. We're supporting them. We're buying their food. We're taking care of them. Their dog chewed up our chairs. Now we need to get new chairs. He said, that's enough. It didn't even register with me that he, that he would be feeling that way, that that's what he was seeing, you know? So um, submission is oftentimes beneficial to us. We don't really realize that in the moment and in the situation, but sometimes another perspective is important. And that's how God wants it to be, two together. You know, if we would have taken the time 
if I would have taken the time and just said, why do you feel that way? And he would explain it to me. I wouldn't have had a problem, and we wouldn't have been not talking for five days. So it's important. Submission, submission is helpful. <laughs> Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, oh, yeah, back down to defer final decision-making. To place oneself under the care of another. That's what I was doing. Bill was caring for me. I didn't realize it. Um, now I do to give headship or authority to another. And it's not so much an action as an attitude. Submission really, bottom line it, is trust. It's just saying, you know what, I believe that you will consider all of the options and that you'll make the right decision. And you can give your input and you can talk. And sometimes he'll say, you know what, why don't you make that decision? And you do, as a wife, you just make the decision. But you've talked about it. And so submission isn't a dirty word. I think people have completely misunderstood what it really is. So our example in the Bible is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Oftentimes I hear, you know, we're equal. We're, we've, we were made side by side. Yeah, we are. We're equal. We're part of God took Eve out of Adam and, and made her his equal, but he also made a system of authority. And so Jesus was in subjection to that. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that is the name above every name." So our example is Jesus in all things. His submission, his uh, example, his attitude, his humility, it's all an example for us. And it's difficult when you're in a situation where it's hard to be humble or you feel like you're the one that's always doing it. But this is what God's asked us to do. And I'm telling you, it will make a difference in your marriage. Again, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. To who? or wives, or whatever the case may be. Um, but we don't, submission we kind of think is, is a, um, a humility or a groveling or something to all people, all men, or all, I can't say women, because it really doesn't apply in this situation because of the way that God made the hierarchy of authority. But um, we think that it means that you need to grovel or be less than, but the Bible is telling us here that it's to our own husbands, right? And submission and trust is, is wonderful in its proper authority, in its proper realm. But it is. It's a two-way street. Absolutely. Yep. So we submit to our own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Some people ask me, does this really work? This submission, respect, obedience thing, does this really work? Well, ask the Bible. What did it just say? <laughs> So that any of a, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves." They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. 
Submission is fearful in today's society. People want to um, negate that because they think it means that you don't have an individual person or personality or spirit. That's not what the Bible is saying. Do you guys kind of, am I making that clear? Okay, so I don't want you to go out of here and say, oh, that Casey McFarland, she just, you know, she should be back in Amish land or something. That's not what I'm saying. So please understand, submission is a wonderful thing, and it actually is a loving thing to do. And we cannot have a relationship with Christ if we don't have that first, and we can't have a relationship with our spouse either. So the next thing in our, our list of what makes a good relationship is fruit and action. We can talk about this stuff all day long, but if we don't actually do it, it's not really going to help us. So Galatians 5, and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. James 2.17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So what you're hearing today and what you're learning today, if you don't take it home, put it into action, it's basically dead and useless. We don't want that, do we? In the judgment, men will not be condemned because they believed a lie, but because they did not believe the truth, because they neglected the opportunity of learning what is truth. Kudos to you guys. You're here learning, and so you will be commended. Notwithstanding the sophistry of Satan to the contrary, it is always disastrous to disobey God. We must set our heart to know what is truth. All the lessons which God has caused to be placed on record in his word are for our warning and instruction. They are given to save us from deception. Their neglect will result in ruin to ourselves. Whatever contradicts God's word, we may be sure, proceeds from Satan. So be careful, but go home and put these things into practice, and you will see results. Now, honesty, honesty is a very interesting concept. <laughs> Some people's concept of honesty or definition of honesty is very different than another person's. So honesty, it says in this verse, is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. So being honest with your spouse, and I think this is going to be the hardest thing for you to do when you go home, is to, is to go home and say, you know what, I've learned some new things this week at camp meeting, and I want to try to put those things into practice in our marriage, and to be very honest with your spouse, and say, you know what, I think I'm very sorry for the way that things have progressed and gotten to this point, but I want to make a change, and I'm telling you, that's the hardest thing to do. Because basically what you're doing is saying, I've done this all wrong up to this point, and I need to do something different. But honesty is so important, and uh, Scripture talks about honesty. Um, I remember one time I was going through some, uh, my stepfather was abusive, and um, I remember going through something, and I was at my uncle's house, and he became a Christian. He was um, uh, he was an Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and stuff, but he moved away from all that, came up to where we lived, and became a Christian, and he was teaching my mom Bible studies, and this was, I was about 17, so it was late in life, and I was at their house, and I was, he was talking about something, and I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to what he was talking about, and I was writing on the table. He had a, a wood table, but it had a plastic tablecloth over it, and it was one of those old-fashioned tablecloths with little bumpy flowers on it. And so I was just drawing around these little flower petals with a pen, and, and I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, he said, stop. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. He wasn't mad at me, but he just said, stop. 
And um, then I looked down. He goes, look down at what you wrote. And I said, I didn't write anything. I was just drawing on your flowers, you know. And he goes, no, look at what you wrote. And in the tablecloth, the word help. I had outlined the flowers, and it spelled out the word help. And so he said, you know, you can tell God how you feel. I was so angry as a kid, so angry. And I said, well, I don't know God, first of all, and I don't even know how to talk to him or anything, you know. And I said, and, and I don't want him to know that. And he said, you can tell him because he already knows. So honesty was, and that was really very powerful, and I remember it to this day because honesty is so important just to tell how you feel. You can tell God how you feel if you're angry, if you're upset, if you feel betrayed, if you feel whatever. You need to, sometimes we like to squash that down and just pretend like everything's okay. But God can handle it. He can, he can know if you're upset with him. He already knows, like my uncle said. So honesty is so important, and he can handle your anger or whatever. So I hope that the first thing you do when you leave here is to go home and tell your husband or spouse, I want to make some changes. I want to be honest. I want to try to work through this. I want to respect you. Um, I want to... I want you to be the head of our family, and I want to talk about decisions, but I would, I would defer to your decision-making. And then we're going to talk about influence, which I think is the most important part of this whole thing. So honesty is important. In John 1, 44 through 50, there's a little uh, story about um, Philip and Andrew and Peter and Jesus. And it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What was Jesus commending him for? Being honest, right. People were going around town and saying, you know, here's this, this Messiah or whatever, you know, come from Nazareth. And, and the whole town was saying, does anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, but they wouldn't say it to Jesus. They wouldn't say it out loud. It was just something that was in their mind. But Nathanael said it out loud. He was like, hey, does anything good come out of there? And Jesus commended him. Was it complimentary to Jesus? Not really. But Jesus said, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Honesty is important to God. Our next step is forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important in marriage. If you can't forgive, if you can't just let things go, no matter how hard it is or how much it's hurt you, um, you really don't have a chance because it's just going to build and build and build and build and your marriage is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And I love this by, by Mahatma Gandhi. It says, The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. It takes a lot to forgive, doesn't it? Yeah, but we're strong through Christ, and we can forgive. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we do need to ask for forgiveness even when we don't realize we've done something wrong. Yep, that's, that's very powerful. If, if someone feels like we've hurt them, whether we think we have or not, it, that doesn't matter. What matters is that that person feels hurt. And so forgiveness, we should be offering that. Very good point. And this is my favorite part, influence. Because this is how 
I have learned and, and put into practice how Jesus has worked with me and worked with my husband and moved things along. If you look at that little uh, picture up there, it says it's not the towering sail that moves the, but the invisible wind that moves the ship. Sometimes we think that uh, we only move the ship by, you know, grabbing a hold of that wheel and turning the ship ourselves and making things happen. It's influence that makes things happen. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit like a wind. It comes, it goes, it moves things. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes. But wives can have a powerful influence with their husbands. Um, And this is the sailboat example. The husband is the captain, right? According to what we just learned. The wife, the wind is the wife's influence. The sails is that he's listening. Sometimes if we are critical or we've um, hurt them in any way, their sails can be put down. Uh, The storms are arguing or wrestling the wheel. Sometimes our influence is very strong. The wind is very strong and we want to make things happen, but really all we are doing is causing a storm, which will shipwreck you uh, or make a mistake or a problem and then sometimes wives uh, have been shipwrecked their marriages have been they're by bad decisions and so they're afraid to uh, get back on there and make some repairs and keep going Um, that's very important if your husband steers your ship into the the beach or the shore or something happens a lot of times we want to jump ship but what we should be doing is making those repairs getting back on the boat and continuing on toward our destination So biblical wives, what influence did they have? What was the example of Eve's influence on Adam? Was it good or bad? Bad. How about Jezebel? Bad. Pilate's wife. She tried to stop him, didn't she? I give that woman a lot of credit. She said, don't have anything to do with that just man. She tried to do what was right. He made the wrong decision. We don't hear anything about her having a problem with the Lord, you know, but he did. (laughs) So, you know, Influence is very important. Pilate's wife tried to do the right thing. What about Herodias? Bad. What about Sarah? She did some good. She did some bad. She had some, you know, told him to go take a, um, a slave girl and have children, and um, that didn't work out so well. And then later on, she had good influence on him, didn't she? So she, she, I think she learned her lesson, <laughs> I hope. So anyway, influence is super powerful when you're talking about relationships and husbands and wives. Um, and it's very gentle. So I think, and if you think back to your grandma or somebody in your family that had powerful influence on you, it was usually very gentle. It wasn't super strong. It just seemed to come out of nowhere, and you don't know where it came from. So influence is great. Practical help. We're almost done. Practical help is to begin again. So when you go home, have that conversation with your spouse. Um, Commit to it. Spend time with God because, again, the only place you're going to get the courage and the strength to do it is is through the Lord. Pray for your marriage. Ask God to help you love your spouse with a Christ-like love. Commit to improving your marriage. Spend quality time with God and study his counsel. Read, research, take advantage of marriage resources. And this is what I did. If your marriage is important to you, you'll spend time figuring out how to make it better. And this is your first step. So I'm, I'm super proud of you for being here. And I'm, I'm going to pray for every one of you when you go home that you continue to commit to it. Educate yourself. Cooperate with God. Do what he says. Be content. Be patient. I'm on going on, we've been married 24 years, and uh, about 15 of those have been, I've been committed to it. So it takes time, a lot of time. But it's time you're going to spend anyway. You might as well be doing something constructive. So tell your husband that you want to work on improving your marriage and be open about it. 
When you make a mistake, you fall into old patterns or whatever, tell him, you know, I just fell back into an old pattern. I'm going to try again. Be honest about it, and he's going to respect you for that. Seek your husband's counsel. Talk to him and start over. Show and speak love. Always speak love. Assure him you love him. No matter what happens, the two of you can get through it. Apologize, whatever your situation. Tell him you appreciate his good qualities. He's a good provider. He may be a hard worker. He may be a good father. He may be funny. He may be happy. You might like his smile. Whatever it is that you have to find to compliment. You may like his toes. I don't know. Whatever it is that you like about your husband, you tell them and do things for them, for him when you do things for others. Tell the truth always. Have integrity. If your husband asks you a question, did you spend XYZ today? Tell the truth. I have a big problem with that because I love to shop. And so I would keep things in my trunk. (laughs) And then when he was gone, I would take them in the house and I'd put them in the closet like they were there forever. And so when he would say, you know, did you go shopping today? I would always, I would have to say, yeah, I did, you know, but I'm trying to work on that because it, it puts a burden on him, an unfair burden on him. So I'm trying to cooperate in those things and, uh, and do better. So tell the truth always, have integrity, forgive, strive to become more and more influential to him. I love husbands that, that come home to their wives and they have to talk to them about you know, whatever situation or the wives come to the husbands and say, I can't make that decision until I talk to my wife or husband. That is so beautiful to me and so impressive that you have that relationship where you, you know that they have something important, a perspective that you need. And so that's really special. Um, let's see, where are we? Uh, give, the, give him the wheel of your family. Um, a lot of times we like to give it over to him, but then we like to take it back. Okay, you make those decisions. As soon as they make a wrong decision, I want that back. No, nope, you can't have that anymore. Um, but we need to consistently make sure that they know that you know, their decisions are respected. Set boundaries, personal and spiritual. You don't have to you know, accept certain behaviors. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you need to talk to your husband, be honest, and respect his decisions. If his decisions disagree with what you think he should be doing and they interfere, I was talking to one lady and her husband was cheating on their taxes. And so that was a very difficult situation for her. And she was concerned. And I said, you know what? It's okay to have a boundary. And to say, if that's what you choose to do, then we'll file separately because I'm not going to be responsible for that. There's decisions and things that go on in marriages that you need to say, you know, I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, And that's okay. God wants you to do that. God is expecting you to do the right thing. So don't be complicit in someone's someone's choices if you know it's going to affect you. You could end up in prison for that. So be careful. Set boundaries, personal and spiritual. Love unconditionally like Christ. And the scriptures tell us, and this is my final slide, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Be strong and courageous, and this is my prayer for you. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We know all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And then finally, the Lord says to you, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God is with you. He is in this situation with you. He is helping you, and he will encourage you and strengthen you. And when you feel like you just can't do it anymore, I remember one time um, 
Bill was home for a long period of time, and we were home together, and we weren't getting along, and I, I went to my closet, and I, well, actually, it was his closet, and I had a little stool, and I sat on the closet, and I just prayed, Lord, you have to make him leave for five minutes. I just need five minutes alone. You know, I said, because I was trying to be nice, and I just didn't want to be, you know, mean to him, and I knew that if he stayed around five more minutes, I was going to be mean. So I sat in that closet, and I prayed, and he found me there about five minutes later, and he said, you know, I have to go up to the gas station and get some gas for the lawnmower or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So just, I just needed a minute. Sometimes you just need a minute to pray and just say, and I remember saying to myself, or saying to the Lord, if he doesn't leave, please help me to be nice. Even though I don't want to, please help me. And I will do what you want me to do. And when you pray that prayer, you're submitted to the will of God. God will help you. He'll give you a miraculous blessing. I just couldn't believe it, you know. So um, when you feel like you can't do it, you can. Just go to God, lay your burden at his feet, and he will help you. Okay? Our spouses need it because, like we, like we read, the, the best way for your spouse to be saved is for you to stay with him or her. Your family's sanctified, it's set apart, and your children are holy. Do you want your children to be holy, to be special to God, to be watching over them when they're not in the home? That is such a beautiful promise. Let's bow our heads and have a closing word of prayer. If you'd like to talk to me afterwards, I'll be here for a few minutes. I'd love to speak with you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promises that you've given to us. Thank you for Jesus who gave us the example of how we need to treat each other. And when we do those things, Lord, we know that you will make a way. You'll make something new out of something that was dead. And Lord, I pray that you will be with each person that's here today, that as they go home and they start a new beginning with their spouse, as they try to put all those old hurts and pains behind them, and they realize that this is not a life sentence, that they can be happy, um, that you can help us to have joy in our hearts, and that you can uh, guide and direct our decision-making. Um, Lord, I just pray that you will be with them in a special way, that your heavenly angels would go to their homes, that they would abide there with them as they work on this together. Lord, I pray for their families, for if they have children at home or whatever the situation may be, I pray that you would just draw near to them and that they will realize that um, no situation is too difficult with you. Yes, it's trying. Yes, it's, it's challenging. But Lord, we know that we can be victorious and that we can love the unlovable like you did. So we thank you so much for this time. I pray that uh, as we go to lunch, that you would be with us and that uh, our hearts would be lifted up in encouragement and joy and happiness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.